Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at B'nai Torah Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun, a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Today's podcast is When Parents Get Sick. The podcast for today began as one on cancer and when moms get sick. And as we explored family stories, we realized that we, of course, need to include the monumental impact of dads getting sick or being hurt. Too often, life does not go as planned. And what I've learned from these parents is that somehow, some way, you make it through. It isn't easy, and it certainly isn't fun. But I've also seen very young children express empathy and compassion, tenderness, resilience, and strength through very challenging times. But let me turn this conversation over to the parents who have lived and are living unimaginable experiences. Welcome to The Square Table, Bonnie Smith, Stacy Ford, and Michelle Fleischer. Each has a very different story to share, but they all know strength, courage, and resilience in ways many of us do not. Before I start, I need to give a shout out to Jen Rosenberg, who waited a year to be ready to share her cancer story, and she couldn't make it because of a last minute schedule conflict, but I promise she'll join us another time. Right now, let's start with Bonnie, who has the perspective of being able to look back now that her boys are older. Welcome, Bonnie. Thank you. Good morning. Um, so, where does your story begin? My story begins in 1999 when I was a very new mom to my third son, um, and I just wasn't coming back to myself. And everybody kind of said, you're not as young as you were when you had your first two. Don't compare yourself. Um, but I kept looking in the mirror and seeing a different me that I didn't understand. So after many, many appointments with very, very doctors, they put me on medication for my mood. Um, and I finally said to my mom, I need you to come with me. And my family doctor said, um, I'm not going to be in, but I would like you to see my associate. Maybe he has a new angle. Um, and at the end of our meeting, when he was writing down notes to take back to my doctor, he looked up at me at an angle and saw the lump on my throat that obviously had been there, but nobody had noted. Um, and he sent me for a CAT scan the next day, and within a week, so I was with right my So right after all of the exam, I mean, this was just a moment. It was after six months of trying to figure out what was going on. I was told I have anxiety attacks and panic attacks, and that it's true that anybody who has that would say, but I'm not stressed. And the diagnosis was? Was Hodgkin's disease. Um, 
the ironic part, if there's such a thing, is that my brother died from Hodgkin's disease in 1984. Hmm. So it wasn't new to us. So your first, your mom, you're a new, you're a mom with a new, a young child. Yes. What was, what, what are you feeling when you get the diagnosis? Um, I wasn't sure what to feel. Lonely. Very, very lonely. Um, no matter how many people were there, and I did have quite a large support system, family and friends, um, the more people that were there, the more alone I actually felt because this was something nobody could do for you. Um, but I was lucky in that way. And um, I'm a, I have a friend who says I have a capital A, A-type personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to the supermarket and I made my shopping lists based on the aisles so you that anybody who was shopping would know exactly how to do it as easily <gasps> as possible. Um, it was suggested that I call Jewish Family Services to help with the children. And I said I didn't have my children to have them learn to eat from other people's kitchens. Um, and so my mother took time and we, we worked that out. How'd you tell the boys? And what was that process of? So I hope that this is the most helpful piece. Um, Let me say they were seven, five, and six months, and they're now 25, 23, and 18. Um, It was the time of Pokemon. And most people said to me, You're not going to tell them, right? You're not going to tell your children. And that was my biggest hurdle. And I said, "How, How can I not? Um, I did have the perspective of being the sister of somebody going through it, going to lose my hair. Um, I know I'm going to be sick. They don't know how sick I've been feeling. They just know that something's coming. And they see the change. So I promised myself I would never lie to them. I would always be honest and caution. And um, what I ended up saying was that I wanted them to choose the strongest Pokemon that they know. At the time, it was only the first set, and it was Mew, or Mewtwo. And I said, so you have to know, while I don't hurt, um, Mew is in my body fighting, and he's fighting against me, and we need a larger, bigger Pokemon to come in and kill him. And in order to do that, in order for him to win, I'm going to look sick, and I'm probably not going to feel good, and you're going to see it. But it's a good thing, and it's getting rid of the bad that's in me. Mm. And they did use that. It was helpful. Um, But all these years later, I do have um, one son who struggles a lot with it, um, still says, if cancer doesn't hurt, I'm not hurting. How do I know I'm not sick? Um, He was the child who would say, are you cold? Can I get you a blanket? You know, so empathetic. And then one who would say, I'd see him standing back a bit. It was hard for him to handle it. Um, And I'd say, you can come to me. And he said, can I catch it? You know, it was a a very difficult thing. And I think he handles it much better at this point than he did then. It's just different. And and, and I want to revisit the children's strength, courage, resilience, but also that individuality with which they... Interact with each with people who are sick with situations that are complicated, because those tender-hearted, vulnerable children 
we can't make that go away for them all that easily. I mean, we, I, I think we, we have to find, and you guys know better, I mean, but that idea of how do we meet them where they are, mm-hmm. find out what they need, how we have it to give and adapt ourselves as we're struggling through whatever thing you're going through. Let's get all the stories on the table. We'll come back to the children. Um, but I, I, I will say, you know, because this, this topic was picked by Jen when I watched her very little boys at two and four experiencing this and seeing how they would hold her face, how they would process, try to process, and how adults around families try to be there in different ways. It's, it's... Uh, Mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, Stacy, you are the uh, you're you you've just come through come um, a through. year. Yeah, tell us, please. Um, long story and short, thank you. Long story short, um, my son was being treated for GI issues, and when I had taken him to the doctor, the doctor had posed some questions, and though my son wasn't having any of these issues, I realized I was, mm. and um, finally at forty five, I decided to go for a colonoscopy. Um, because I knew it was time. Um, I do have a family history of Crohn's and colon cancer. Um, and my father had begged me for years and years and years to go, and I never went because I always said I was too busy. And uh, the thing I remember most is when I woke up from the colonoscopy, I heard the doctor say, you have cancer. Ah. And the first thing I, I, obviously I started crying, and the first thing I said was my kids. Mm-hmm. And I still, to this day, I... They're the reason I fight this, to be honest. Um, they are. They're, they're my everything, and they're the reason that I... I, um, I did wind up with a permanent colostomy because it was actually rectal cancer. Tell and, everyone how young you are, please. Uh, I'm 47 now. I was diagnosed at 45. And um, this is not an old person's disease anymore. Mm. And That's and why they just changed the, the um, screening to... 45 versus 50. Yeah. So everybody please go. And the unfairness go. of cancer, <clears throat> of illness, and of, and of accidents. It's, there's just this, you know, we all just want to scream. I want to scream I for you. Yeah. I did. But um, I was really lucky that it uh, was diagnosed at stage 2, so it hadn't spread to my lymph nodes yet or metastasized to any other organs. So I was really lucky it was fairly contained. Um, so we were able to, I did, uh, six weeks of radiation with chemo pills, and then I waited ten weeks because it was my daughter's birthday, and I was not going in the hospital before my daughter's oh, birthday. How old were your children uh, when you were diagnosed? When I was diagnosed, six and ten. Okay. Um, and I was not going to have my daughter's memory of her seventh birthday be of mommy in the hospital wasn't happening the definition of motherhood right so my daughter's birthday is october 1st we had a little party with her best friends and three days later on october 4th i had what's called an apr surgery which is um a colon resection and they took out my rectum and a permanent colostomy was put in and i'm here to tell the tale i went through four months of chemo um, after that, IV chemo with a port and the whole works, and I'm very lucky because though my parents are not here anymore, my mother-in-law mm. 
you, every when I, the weeks I was on chemo, my mother-in-law would come and help. And the weeks I wasn't on chemo, sometimes she would still stay because I was sick. You know, and it, it, it's hard. I, for me, it was hard as a parent to be that sick. Yeah, because parents because aren't you can't supposed do anything. to be. Parents aren't supposed to be vulnerable. Parents are the protectors. So I have two questions. Um, I want to ask um, how you told your children. Um, and before I do, just because I'm feeling it in reaction to your story, but I kind of want to hear it whenever anybody wants to put it out there. Um, how did you allow yourself the time, the moments? To be crazy and irrational. I mean, I assume that you you need sometimes to feel sorry for yourself. That you you know you find strength for your children. Okay, you no, know, I I couldn't. I I think the day I found out was the only day I said why me, when my husband and I were in the elevator going for my cat scan. Um, but I couldn't let my children see that. I'm I get like, that. You, I, I could never that. lie to them. Um, we, uh, I knew. How did, but you had to be hurting. I was scared. Okay. I, I don't know that I was hurting. I was scared because I didn't, I was 25 when I lost my mother. Okay. My husband was 10 when he lost his father. Mm. I didn't want my children to grow up without us. Like, that in itself is, was the reason for fighting. So you just came with this attitude that I have got it's this. not going to get me. No, nope. it's not going to get me. No, I'm, I cracked tons of jokes. People, some people thought they were inappropriate. Some people laughed. Um, that's my way of getting through things is to make jokes and laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I in a, a lot of people who have my situation where they do have a permanent colostomy, they will name the stoma. You know, and it it sounds silly, but it's it you know it's it's funny. And my gosh, laughing is the best medicine. I'm okay. Uh, I want to go to your kids next. I have one more question for you because it's we've never met before today, right. and we had a, 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 a tiny conversation while I was when we were introduced. I was driving in my car, <laughs> um, but you had said to me in terms of this laughter, you had said to me you made a choice that you needed to surround yourself with the people that were going to keep me up and not. Up. Um, there was, you know, every, I think everyone has those friends in their life that you know what you can say to who and who can do what. And I made a very conscious choice to talk to certain people about certain things because I didn't want, I, I couldn't handle um, any negativity. I didn't want anybody to say, well, you know, we hope this works. That's my job to say we hope this works, not your job. Your job is to say this is going to work and you're going to get better and we're going to make it through this. That's what I, that's what I needed from the people around me and that is what they did. I know a lot of them. Some of my very close friends had a very hard time. I have one of my best friends growing up since we're, oh God, 11, 12 years old, had just lost her cousin at 39 to colon cancer, six, not even oh. six months before I was diagnosed. Another one of my really good friends had lost her mother years ago to colon cancer. Um, so they're reliving their so grief, they, and they also just want to cry with you, right. even when you don't want to cry. Right. So, you know, I was, I was very careful if, with what I said to whom. Um, but I was really lucky because I really did have an amazing, amazing village of people to help me. I'm glad for your mother-in-law, and I'm glad for your village. My mother-in-law, Tell me my about father, how you told husband. your kids. I waited to about two weeks. Um, I was diagnosed a Thursday before Memorial Day weekend. So I didn't want to say anything to them until I had seen all the doctors, the oncologist, the surgeon, to know what the plan was. Because I didn't know what the plan was. Do I, am I having surgery right away? Do they, you know, I had no clue. 
So um, after we had met, after I had met with my actual uh, radiological oncologist, the guy who does the radiation doctor, my husband and I um, took our kids into their playroom and we sat down and we said, um, so mommy is a little sick and um, it, it's something that's going to take a while for it to get better. Um, I'm going to have to have surgery and I'm, you're, you're probably going to see some not so good things out of me. At that point, the, my oncologist did tell me I wouldn't be losing all my hair. It would thin, but I wouldn't lose it. So I was thankful for that. Kind. I always wanted this hot red wig. <laughs> that was one of my, like, I made a list of positives of having cancer. I didn't get the wig and I didn't lose weight. But other than that, I'm okay. Um, I was lucky. And I said, you know, my husband, because I couldn't say the word. So my husband said, Mommy has cancer. And we tried to explain what it was and all that stuff. I mean, my children, again, were, were young, were um, six and ten. Because they can only understand this through their right. developmental lens and their own lenses. And since my son was a Googler, at the time, well, still likes to Google, I told him he's not allowed to Google this. If he has any questions, he comes to me, and I will answer everything honestly. Okay. My biggest pet peeve in life is being lied to. You lie to me, and I'm done with you. One more question, and, and there's so much more, and I want to get Michelle on this. Did, did you, you said you couldn't say the word cancer. Did you cry? When I told with them? With your children, yes. No. Okay. My children, I don't think my children ever saw me cry. Okay. Because I didn't want them to cry. Okay. Bonnie, did you cry? I don't believe, it's a long time ago now, I don't believe that I did. Um, I would like to mention that differently, um, when I was... When I was being told by people, eight out of ten make it, you're going to make it. I know this one, and I know this one, and she went through it, and she went through it. I would go upstairs at the end of the night and burn over it. And I was bothered on my own that that's how I felt, and it didn't feel normal to me. I would have thought I would have felt much the way you did. Um, but I kept coming down to, but two out of ten don't. You wanted the acknowledgement that I might be. Well, and my brother didn't make it. So I, my genetic makeup, to me, felt like, I just need you to be there. I don't want you to tell me you're going to be okay. I just want you to be here. And we know it for grief. We know it for all the difficult topics of the world. You know, divorce, sadness, pain, everything. It's, there's just no way that there's one right way right. to respond to people. Right. Okay, I want to open this up to Michelle, and then we'll come back to the kids. Michelle's here because um, her husband had a car accident that was life-threatening. Yes. And you, when we told you that we were talking about this, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you're experiencing it with Dad, where your children are seeing Dad's life changed and your family routines impacted. You had said, you had said to me something that the world was saying to you, which made me open my eyes to it whenever a parent is is their normal is changed, then the family is affected. So that's why I wanted you here. Tell us your story. Sure. Well, first I want to say you both are incredible. You're so strong. I have, I have been like putting my tongue on the roof of my mouth, like just trying not to cry listening to both of you. Um, so it's quite an inspiration. Um, April 24th, my husband was uh, driving north in West Palm Beach, Okeechobee, and he was meeting with clients who couldn't come to Deerfield Beach to his office. So he's an attorney. He does bankruptcy and foreclosure defense. And 
He was driving, not playing with the radio, not text messaging, not doing anything wrong. nothing. As a matter of fact, like if we were at a light, I used to be like, "Don't check your phone. It's not responsible." And he would like one of the things he told me when he came out was like, "I wasn't doing anything I wasn't supposed to be doing." But um, he was just driving, and a 24-year-old guy with a suspended license crossed over. He cut through three lanes of traffic, crossed over the median and hit my husband head on going he drove against traffic and hit him head on and my husband was going like 45 I should just say Emil instead of my husband my okay so he was Emil was going uh 45 50 miles an hour and so was the other guy and he didn't even see him coming he didn't even hit the brakes and he got hit really hard and um he happened to be in his mom's small crossover Cadillac SUV he has a smaller car and the brakes were acting funny that morning. So he had brought his car to the shop, and he was in his mom's car. And I'm certain he would not have made it if he had been in his car. And so his femur actually broke in about three different places and came out of his leg, and he fractured his spine. And I had no idea. I had no idea it happened. Um, they called my father, because he was in shock. He thought he just broke his leg and he didn't want to worry anybody. So he told my dad, who happens to be very good in emergency situations. I am too. I was actually a little bit like, why didn't you call me? But <laughs> um, my dad was in the Keys and I happened to call my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law works for my husband. And um, I called just to ask a quick question. She said, do you, do you know something about a car accident? And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? She goes, something about a meal was in a car accident. Your father knows about it. And I'm like, let me go. So I call my father and my dad's like, okay, so yes, you weren't supposed to know yet, but I'm on my way north. My parents have businesses in the Keys. And my father starts driving north. And I'm like, dad, I can't wait for you to get here. He's in West Palm Beach. I'm just going to go. And he said, no, you can't. You have to wait for me. Um, I don't want you driving like a maniac. Just wait. I had no idea what happened. I just knew he broke his femur. I did not know the extent. So I did wait for my father because um, a friend of ours who's an EMT said, don't drive. He's going to be in like, a, he called the doctor himself, and he said he's going to be in a three-hour surgery. So we drove. We got lost. It was raining. The GPS sent us to the wrong place. But I had to hold my self together because my father was driving, my mother-in-law was in the car, and my father-in-law died like, Two and a half, well, it's going to be three years in October. So I knew if I started crying, she would be a blumbering mess, and he would not want that. So when we got there, I was so nervous I wouldn't get there in time for him to wake up because the only thing I knew was he said, I was on the phone with my father when he was driving, and he said, oh, the hospital's calling me. Uh, let me transfer the call. So I got conferenced in, and I just said, Baby, what happened? He said, I was in a car accident. I'm going to be okay. I'm going into surgery. And I'm like, okay, I love you. I'll be there when you wake up. That was it. So when I finally got to see him, it was shocking because his leg was bandaged up. It wasn't in a cast or anything. But um, his face was really cut up bad. And he was in a neck brace. And I didn't know about the neck. And... He saw me and he's like, I'm so happy to see you. And I bent over and I kissed him. And he goes, something happened to my neck. And he was so nervous about like not being able to walk again. And he's a very active guy. And um, everything was, you know, everything's going to take time to see. And um, 
he's come out of it. I mean, now it's been almost, what, four months? And a slow, long recuperation. Yeah, but he's kind of a freak of nature. He's he's walking, you know. He's not yes. using um, a walker. He has a limp. We're working okay, but through he wasn't, that. Tell he us, wasn't okay so for a while. So now tell us in the beginning how so, now you say to your children, Dad, it might be physically different. Yeah, so this. I um, came home that night, and... Um, I told my kids, you know, Papa's been in a car accident. He's going to be okay. He broke his leg, and he hurt his neck. So I just kind of left it at that. He hurt his neck. He broke his leg. He won't be able to walk for a little while. And every day they wanted to see him. But he was in St. Mary's, which is so north. And I did not want them to see him because he was in a neck brace. His leg was so swollen, and he had... Um, stitches around his eye and hair missing on his face. And it was a really, really bad accident. They put a 17-inch rod in his leg. Uh, They put two screws in his hip, one in his knee. Um, So it was a lot of trauma. And, um, like, having him stand up again for the first time was painful. And he really took things really strong. And he he did great. Um, He spent a week in trauma Um, And then he went to rehab, and that's when the muscle spasm started to happen. And that's the only time I really, really lost it. It was one day he needed help to get up to go to the bathroom, and it was humiliating for him. He had to—he couldn't hop. Like, he could not get to the bathroom. We had to bring the bathroom to him, and there were nurses in the room, and— Basically, they were like, well, it'd be easier if, we, if we're if we going to wheel you over the toilet. You need to take your pants off now. And he was, like, half naked in front of strangers. And he was he was humiliated. And I knew that was hard for him. So that night, I, I cried. And were your kids scared? They were. Uh, they were not so bad until we went to see him. And I waited 10 days. I did not let my children see him for 10 days. And every day they asked for him. Every day they wanted to see him. And when we went to the hospital, to the, I'm sorry, not the hospital, to the rehab center, now he's in, he got moved to Del Rey. When he got moved to the rehab center, mm, the girls heard his voice and they were so excited. So I have a son who's turning seven this month. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And at the time she wasn't even three. So they kind of hesitated. They paused. and But then when they heard his voice, they just hugged him and embraced him, and they they got over okay. the exterior. Bennett squeezed my hand, and he cried. Because the older the child, the more they can understand yeah. the what-ifs. So, And I'm sorry to interrupt. Ahead. He did no. say, Mom, I'm freaking out. Yeah. And he put his head on my hip. He goes, I shouldn't have come. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's okay, buddy. You know, he's going to be fine. Okay, let's, let's yeah. go right to that thought. Because that's a thought that undermines everything. Mom, I shouldn't have come. That idea of you make a choice of how to perfectly manage this in the most benevolent way for your children. But it's not good. It's just no matter how much you plan it, no matter how organized you are, they struggle. 
But it turned out to be okay. It does. It does. Yeah. It does. It always. It does. We don't give them enough credit sometimes. Yeah. Too. It does, but it doesn't make it easy, and it doesn't mean it. Do, and and the thing I want to always say, whether I say it in the hallway with somebody crying out there today, or whether I say it with a grown son, who still revisits, is the struggles of life and the emotions of real life are not one and done. You don't feel the fear, conquer it, move on. Feel the worry, put it in your brain. You, you, you say, I shouldn't have come. I'm glad I came. Oh my gosh, looking back now with new eyes. And I think that even Rabbi Englander says this on the, on the grief podcast that you're on. Grief and, and fear and worry, it never goes away. When you get to be a high schooler and you look back and remember a, a, a traumatic event from your childhood, whether it's the, the death of someone in your family or an illness or the possible whatever or the reality of seeing your mom without hair or seeing your mom, whatever, you have to go back and go, oh, now I re-experience that whole thing with new thinking and new emotions. It's like post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know for my kids because my body looks different now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of scars. I have huge scars. And I have a colostomy bag. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just not Did pretty. Did they know? Yes, they knew. We explained that to them. And Bravo. Um, I, I wanted them to know what I was... I was scared that they wouldn't... Um, they would be scared to come over to me. So I was very intent on letting them know each thing as it happened and what it would be and what it would look like. And I mean, now, uh, uh, almost a year, October 4th will be a year, my kids are not scared of it anymore. Mm-hmm. Which, when my daughter, when you know, because I'd have to say, I need to change my bag, guys. You know, I get out of the room or something. And... Because they didn't want to see it. They didn't want to. Sure. And now my kids are like, whatever. Like, they'll stand there when I do it. Maybe they they'll me. all be doctors. <laughs> <laughs> they watch me do it, you know. And that. But as an adult, like you said, I still have PTSD. My grandfather died when I was four. My grandmother got sick when I was 12. All these things, you never forget them. And that's what weighs so heavily on me is that my, my seven-year-old, like, Mommy, do you have cancer anymore? All the time. Mommy, is the cancer going to come back? I don't think so, but I don't know. Like, I don't want to lie. I try to make everything on the positive side. But seeing my kids um, hurt and scared, you know, I I had told the doctor the day of surgery, I was like, I need to be out of surgery and awake by 2 o'clock. My kids get out of school at 2. I, I, I needed to see them. <laughs> I love that everybody yeah. is like, these are, I have cancer. I have this. I have this. These are my terms. Yeah. <laughs> you never thought about these that are if something terms, happened to me. I always which think, I, was I don't have time for this. Right. I, the, the, the moms, that's the mentality. We don't have time for but this. But there's that yeah. little bit of, I am taking charge and control. Well, it's the and only this is what my I kids have, need. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, my girlfriend, my, my husband and my brother stayed at the hospital with me. My girlfriend went to get my kids and she brought them in. And I don't remember much only because I had very good anesthesia. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, my son always says, Mom, when we saw you, he's like, you were weird. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know? You can tell those stories over and over. Bonnie, anything to say about post-traumatic stress for yourself or for your boys or, or the revisiting or... 
Well, I do think it, I mean, there's no question it changes the trajectory of your lives. Um, my, my oldest son is named for my brother. He always knew that. That was a gift. Um, I live in post-traumatic stress. I never thought, I never let it in that my brother might not survive what he had. Okay, I, this is a horrible question, but I'm going to ask the horrible question. Sure. It's the... It's that world of supposed to's and should be's. How long has it been since this was supposed to be finished for you? Since you got the, you know, because you just have those people out there. Grief should only be a year or two, you know, and, and, and you got a clean bill of health. And why isn't, so it's like, and how many years later can, can you say I still live in post-traumatic stress? It, it might be forever, but well, it's uh, yeah. But I you are at what mate? What what time? What, from nineteen ninety nine. I started in ninety nine. You're you're you've had your five year. In in two thousand and four, two thousand and five, we'll say in February, I did six months of chemotherapy, and then all of February was radiation every day. And when that ended, is when I start counting. I have this thing I call years. it grief math, you know, and, but I think there's like illness, uh, there's tra trauma math that it's like, so I just want to put out there for the world, you know what, nobody's ever done when you think they're supposed to be done and everybody truth. just truth. let that be. And, and I'd have to say it through my oldest son who um, for about 18 months after I was diagnosed and treated, um, I had to take him to the pediatrician weekly. I had... An amazing pediatrician who said whenever he needs to come, you call and bring him. Uh, she would take me in and either give me a Diet Coke or a cup of coffee, and she would do a full exam on him because he just kept saying, I don't hurt, so what if I'm sick? Oh. Um, and it was, a, it was at least 18 months. He doesn't remember it, so for whatever reason, that helped him put things away. I'm eternally grateful to her. And now he's just moved back here to be with us and um, and like I said he's 25 and again he's dealing with how do I know this isn't a bad thing and yeah. and so for him I don't know I pray that he will get over that um, be able to put it away I've had doctors say to me as things come up you're always going to have this you've got to know you're always going to have this I said I didn't um, but I don't choose to live in the fear of it when it comes, I have to deal with it. You, that's it. You just have to cross it. And he says to me, how do you live with that? I said, I want to be here today. I want to be here tomorrow. So I have to. That's it. You just walk through that door. Yeah. Um, and I hope this is for Let's focus on the kids a little bit more. Um, whether it's in that moment or coming forward. What I, I feel like in terms of emotional intelligence and emotional resilience and all of the big things that I care about... For, for kids, for human beings, for mothers, especially for parents in general, is is the how we manage the struggles and emotions of life. I mean, that's and this is, this is the biggest stuff. And but but it's what I wrote as you're describing your children is we. I opened with my la la land. Kids are strong, resilient, courageous. They are all of those things. Amazing. I mean, I've seen kids. Do, do and feel and, and help us come through, not that they're supposed to help us, but show us glimpses of things that we need to see. 
But I also want to say for the people that live in the Facebook world of, of, of everything is pretty and neat and tidy, this is a podcast that separates the messiness of life with kids. Resilience doesn't always look pretty. Resilience yeah, isn't fine. efficient. It, right. It's you have to you have to take a, a time out of your week every week for 18 months to respond, to pause, to be present, mm-hmm. to answer the questions, to struggle to find the right words. So as we as as we give people, I hope, hope for your children being able to handle and manage this because they do and you do. What's what do you know? about how they are going to come through the emotions and the, the developmental thinking that, that is part of their processes, each one individually. Well, for, for me, for my son, um, he actually just had to have a colonoscopy and an endoscopy because he has ulcers, which is why he originally went to the GI doctor, which is why I found out. Um, so for him, there's two things. I always say, A, number one, just remember something, you saved mommy's life. And then my brother, right after I was diagnosed, had gone and gotten a colonoscopy, and they found two precancerous polyps that they took out. And you saved Uncle Steven. They said, so no matter whatever happens, you always remember you're a lifesaver for everything. I think he also will always worry about it, only because he does have GI issues. But he, he grew up. And part of me was happy that he learned a hard lesson early on. Um, because it takes away from their innocence, because he understood it a lot more than my daughter did. But he's a, he's much stronger, and my daughter she she just always says, "Mommy, are you okay? Are you gonna make it? You know, is there cancer left? Is there any cancer in you?" And I'm like, "No," nope. you know. And we take it one day at a time, okay. because you know every we're reminded. Un- unfortunately, in my case, because I do have the ostomy, we're reminded every single minute of every single day of what I went through. There's never, I look down every day and I'm like, oh God, you know. And even though your daughter was young, did you see a kind of empathy and compassion? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, Mommy, can I get you anything? Mommy, can I sit and cuddle with you? Uh, When I was on chemo, and I don't know if you had to do this also, I had a, a pump, chemo pump. So I was on it for 46 hours. And I had to sleep with it. And my kids would want to come and cuddle, but I... I, like, I had nowhere on my body that they could really touch me. I had the, the port here. I have the ostomy here. I had the bag, you know, this side. And, and that, I think, of everything was her biggest thing because she likes to cuddle with me. Mm-hmm. So we, we had to figure out ways to do it. A new way to cuddle. Mm-hmm. You know, she loves to kiss me on the lips. Like, she gives the softest little kisses, and I love them. And we couldn't do that. You know, so um, we did a lot of air kisses and air hugs, which was awesome. It's amazing how creative and resourceful you become. And um, she would read books to me. And my, my kids have seen a lot more than most kids have. They saw their grandfather die. Um, right before my son got sick, before I got diagnosed, my husband had fell and broken his arm in four different places while we were on vacation. You know, I mean, (laughs) so they've grown up. Loss of innocence, empathy, resilience. So my, for me now that they're older, especially, um, my comments for them are that clearly I have to own it. Um, We have a weakness. Um, 
there's a predisposition. I did meet with the doctor who at the time was the man in lymphoma uh, on the East Coast, and he was in Pennsylvania, which is where I lived. And, um, and he said, I'm here for as long as you need me. I will answer any and every question you have. Um, and as I went to say my boys, he said, but don't ask me about your children. Um, it's not genetic. It's not hereditary. It's not. I can't answer that. And then out of the other side of his mouth, he shared that they're in the process of doing twin studies. So my take on it clearly is that we can't live in it. Um, we are predisposed, but that does not mean that we are going to continue to be exposed to things that are going to allow it to be. And you have to work to not live in that dis-ease. They're so tired of hearing it. Mm -hmm. But when you create dis-ease from stress in your life, you're letting things in. So you have to try and chill <laughs> and let it be and process it and fight that predisposition. I can barely breathe today. I know. So Michelle, loss of innocence, empathy, resilience. Well, um, you know, we have thoughts, and sometimes we blurt them out, but sometimes we adults, we can think, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm going to chew on that for a second. We could be angry for a moment, and then afterwards we could just breathe and go, okay, I, I moved past that emotion. But kids kind of have a thought or it's a feeling, and boom, it comes out. So my son did say to me, I'm freaking out, I'm this, I'm that. And then I took him, I wheeled my husband over to a game room, and we played Connect Four. And once he saw that my husband was still himself, mm -hmm. he was better. Then I picked him up from school the next day, and he said, can we go please, can we please go see Papa? And I said, yes, just the two of us will go today. And as I'm holding his hand, walking him into um, Pinecrest uh, Rehabilitation Center, he um, was, wouldn't look me in the face, and he said, I thought it was important to come because I wanted to make sure Papa wasn't dying. So he was still processing the whole thing. Side note, the Pinecrest Rehabilitation Center happens to be next to a hospice, and on their way out, of, it was almost like out of a Seinfeld episode, on our way out... There's, we're going to the elevator, and he's like, Mommy, how could that person breathe with that heavy blanket on top of them? <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, that person's not alive anymore because I had to. I, I told him my <laughs> father in law died just a couple, so you know, two and a half years ago, so he knows what death is. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I'm like, that person doesn't need to breathe anymore. That person's, it's a body that's covered. That person, is that going to happen to my father? Mm -hmm, no. Mm -hmm. He's in a healing place. Mm -hmm. The place where those, the, the people that are in hospice, buddy, that's a different section. And those people are being made comfortable because that's, they can't be healed anymore. But Papa's in a healing place. We came home. Vivi, who was not even three years old, would bring him his walker. She would like, like, drag it across the house. So where the innocence still she, lives on, she needed a job. It creates. She needed a job. She would pretend to wrap his leg, and she would she bring him hospital. water. <laughs> she was playing doctor. We called her Doctor Vivi, and we would bring her a stethoscope, and she would go check her father. And yeah, and Mila would just want to cuddle, yeah. and Bennett would always go check. That he was still there. Each so each yeah. their own way. And for me, uh, I, well, he was home for a while, for a good six weeks without before he can even go to the office. And 
I know for me, I would have to peek my head in the room because I thought, this is like, is this an alternate universe where, like, everything worked out? And in another, like, parallel universe, my husband didn't make it. And, like, that person is crying and a widow. Mm. Yeah. I I kept having to peek sure. my head in. Yeah. And I know if I felt that way, I think Bennett was feeling that way. He would, every day after school, just go make sure he was, and even if he was rest, just make sure he was there. And yeah. allowing for the possibility of all of those feelings. Um, well, we know we have to have Jen come, so I think about all the things you wish you'd got to say today, and we will reconvene if you would like. Um, but right now, let's do our wrap-up. How have you got this for right here, for today, for right now? How have you got this living with your story? Um, it's a story that keeps going. It's, I, I don't put, um, you can't put a time limit on grief. And for me, I, I will always grieve my body if that makes any sense to anyone because it's it's very different um but on the flip side of that we still play games with my kids we take them places we do things we go out and we my goal is to make their lives as normal as humanly possible not every day is a good day for me not every day is a good day for them but we love each other and that's I always told them I'll be honest with them and as long as we've got love and honesty and the sense of community around us who really helped, I, I think we're going to be okay. You know, I mean, like you, I every you know, I, I always say I take this in three-month increments because I go to the doctor every three months right now. <laughs> and then every six months I do a CAT scan. So I take this in short little spurts, but I... In my head, I'm like, I'm always, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get through this. And that's, as long as I show that, my kids will feel that. And again, it's and, about and I them. I want to say, just sitting here at the table with you, you're not pretending it. You're not putting on a false front for them. You're finding the strength inside for your children. I think there's a difference to just telling them one thing when it's not what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Well, I recall... Um, when the doctor first said, I'll see you next month, and I said, what do you mean? We've been actively doing this basically daily, and all of a sudden you don't want to see me for a month? Yeah. And he said, tell me when you want to be back. And I went in two weeks. Hmm. He said, we could do this until you're ready. Um, and, and I think that's kind of still how I live. Um, I know that my body betrayed me. Nothing is ever going to be worse than that. Uh, it's a lot easier to be angry at somebody else than yourself. And, um, and I do have the fortune of seeing my boys growing up. Um, all of the benchmarks, all of those moments, bar mitzvahs, graduations, um, meeting their girlfriends, having them in our lives, is they're, they're all things that I didn't really know for sure I get to see. Well, I'm waiting for the weddings and the grandchildren. Yes, and, so. and I pray for that. And every day I'm glad to be here. Um, my mantra was always, it could be worse. Always. And that really got me through it. My husband spent a week in trauma, and I walked around that trauma floor while he was doing his rehab, the little he could walk if he needed a ginger ale. And when I would peek in those rooms and I would see people in a much worse place... Or somebody that maybe was, their new reality was that they were alive but not really for the rest of their life and you really don't know. Like that, that marked me so much that I always thought it could be worse. And when someone would say to me, 
oh my God, you've gone through so much. I always just said, it could have been worse. I still have my husband. He can walk. He's himself. He can still practice law. He's, he still has his children, and they, my children still have When my father. daughter had started, Beth thought, I think you were still there, uh, one of the moms had passed away from breast cancer. And when I was diagnosed, that was the first thing I thought about. What happens? And what that's is- when I said, whoop, we're not thinking about that. Um, I'm here, and like you said, that is the best thing in the world. Is it can always be worse, mm-hmm. no matter what. It, I'm. It could always be worse. Thank God we're all here to tell the tale. I am changed forever by talking with you guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to see me, hear me, love me. Seeing little people learn and grow. Listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey. Loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules. You write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. We're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to the front and the follow for the song listen. We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.